your Locked On Avalanche, your daily podcast on the Colorado Avalanche. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Chris Maselli, with another episode of the podcast dedicated to the Colorado Avalanche. And on today's show, we are putting a bow on our week of wah, where we look back at the playing days and coaching days, which is what we're going to do today. Look at the coaching days of Colorado Avalanche great Patrick Wah. So we've been talking about him all week since this is the 25 years ago. This is the week that he introduced himself to the Colorado Avalanche fans and uh, started this week on Sunday, which was 25 years to the day where they traded for him and kind of just been reminiscing on his career as an Avs player. On, on Monday, we got together with the hosts of Locked On Red Wings, talked about that rivalry as a whole, the role that Patrick Waugh played in it, clear, which was clearly a lot if you're going toe-to-toe with two of their goalies, uh, and, and almost a third. And then on Wednesday, just talked about his playing career in general with the Avs, and now we're going to take a look at his coaching career. So before we get to all that, we are also going to talk about a little wrinkle in the possible divisions on the return to play next month. So we will look at that as well. Before we get to all that, follow the show on social media outlets on Twitter, L-O-P-N underscore Avalanche. On Instagram, search for Lockdown Avalanche and send any questions, comments, concerns, opinions, whatever's on your mind to LockedOnAvalanche at gmail.com. If you were following me on Twitter, you saw this little jacket right here, which if you're watching on News 9, uh, finally arrived. It made its way around the country and is now here. So I figured I had to wear it, uh, especially if today was going to be the video show. Um, so it is here. It was in Syracuse twice, went from Syracuse to Orlando, Florida, then back up the coast to Syracuse for some reason. But um, it's it's finally arrived. So everything is good. And uh, it's all in one piece. It's in good shape. I like it. <laughs> it just took a little while to get here. So uh, thank you to everybody for following me on that exciting journey uh, that I was constantly posting on where it was going through Twitter. Anyway, so uh, where do the Avalanche stand right now in terms of the return to play? Which, again, the NHL has not officially come out and said this is done yet. I get it. The the news is out there. The news wire is out there reporting that January 13th is the start date. Seems like it probably will be. Uh, but we don't have that definitive, uh, you know, stamp of approval from the commissioner saying, yep, this these are our plans. Expecting it soon, but hasn't come out yet. And more came out about the possible divisions. And for the most part, they were correct. But specifically, the Avalanche division which I don't know if they've named these. I don't know if this is like the West division or how, how they're going to rename these. Uh, the the division the Avs are supposedly going to be in has a little bit of a change. From what we've been seeing up until now is the Avs playing with Anaheim, Arizona, Los Angeles, San Jose, 
and Vegas. And then from their own division, they were going to bring with them Dallas and Minnesota is one that I've seen. And now it seems like uh, Minnesota is out and St. Louis is in. Which is a a little bit of uh, a little bit of a wrinkle. I don't think the Blackhawks were ever involved in the the elite or the division that the Avalanche were in. So having because up until then, people were like Colorado is going to run away with this thing. Uh, Vegas will give them a push. Maybe Dallas will, but for the most part, the Avalanche should really run away with this thing. You know, Anaheim is not really going to pose a threat. Arizona shouldn't pose a threat. The Kings, although the Avalanche struggled with them as a team, one on one, for the you know overall of a season, I don't think the Kings would really press them. <clears throat> San Jose probably wouldn't have, and it was really going to be an Avalanche and Vegas division. <clears throat> now you throw St. Louis into that mix, and now it is definitely a three-headed monster division. It is definitely Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas. I feel it's going to go in that order. I think St. Louis is definitely uh, the the biggest threat to the Avalanche winning this division, if this is in fact what it is. Uh, I, I know everybody is big on Vegas. I'm not. I think, I think Vegas is going to be a good team, and they are definitely a playoff team. Um, I don't see Vegas being that team <clears throat> that is really going to push for first place in in the in the division. Uh, I think they are about to lose too much to get into cap compliance, and I think that's really going to hurt that team. So yeah, I mean, I, I think which is a good this is a good thing for the Avalanche. You'd want them to be in a division because. I don't know what it's going to look like in terms of how many times you're going to be playing these other teams in this other division because of the coronavirus, how often they're going to be crisscrossing the country. Uh, it seems like the the Canadian division is going to be a thing, and they are going to be contained and probably only play each other for an entire 56-game season. That's going to be rough. But how they will kind of interact the United States teams. Avalanche are going to be playing these other teams. We just don't know how much. And you want them to get competition. You don't want them to just run through a division like what it could have been and not really be tested when it comes playoff time. You want those tests all along the way. <clears throat> and now I think they'll get that a little bit more with St. With Louis coming into the mix. <clears throat> Excuse me. If this is exactly how it shapes up. Now, looking at the other divisions, uh, I guess we'll call this one the Northeast with Boston, Buffalo, who should be improved, the Devils, who are still rebuilding, the Islanders, who've lost a lot, uh, the Rangers, who are improving, the Flyers, who are one of the better teams, the Penguins are the Penguins, and the Capitals are the Capitals. That's a great division. That's a division that is going to be tested and whoever comes out on top of that is going to be ready to go for the playoffs because you've been to the ringer with that division. <clears throat> the other one being Carolina, good team. Chicago, rough. Uh, Columbus is always a tough opponent. <clears throat> Detroit, who is, you know, they're rebuilding, but they will be more competitive. Florida, you know, 
I, I don't know how to be nice about the Florida. They're not really the, a team that scares me. Uh, Minnesota is, uh, you know, a team that's rebuilding. Nashville is always a tough opponent, but they seem to be on a downswing. And Tampa Bay, you're a champion. So that is kind of like a middle-of-the-road division where you have some pretty good teams in Carolina and Columbus is is a good opponent. And then you have the uh, defending champion and then the Avalanche division where it's very top-heavy. So, you know, between the three divisions, it's uh, I think they're all – they have their pluses and minuses. That, that Northeast division with the Bruins and Sabres and Rangers is, I would say, definitely the most difficult – uh, so, but you want to be able to play all of those teams and it's not looking like you're going to be able to play the Canadian teams until playoff time. Cause it seems like there's going to be a, a break from the regular season to the postseason to bring those teams in from Canada, let them quarantine and finish out any games that may have been canceled during the regular season. And that's the only time you're going to be able to play those Canadian teams, you're not gonna ha- you're not gonna have anything to go on against those teams that come down. So it's gonna be a challenge. It's gonna be a challenging season, and uh, but it will be a season. And I think that's really at this point all anybody cares about. They want to see the Avalanche on the ice. They want to see them perform. They know they have a really good team. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like doesn't matter who the opponent is. Uh, let's just go up against them and play their game and their style of game. And make a run in a cup. So, all right. We're going to hear from uh, one of our sponsors today, which is actually the same sponsor for both breaks, just two different products. And you know what the products are. Uh, First, our people at Built Bar have made Built Go. And you know about Go. Uh, If you're a coffee person like me, uh, and especially today, some days you just don't know when that coffee is going to wear off. It wore off pretty early for me today. And I'm not kidding around when I said I, I had a built go with me. I bring them with me to work and they work. They get you through that second half of the work day. And if it's you're thinking of it as a metaphorical wall that you need to get through, built go is the way to go. It is a one and a half ounce package and you can leave it right in your desk just like I do, and or put it in your briefcase, wherever it's easy to reach, and it's there, quick and easy, and you take it in a one-and-a-half-ounce package. It is the best pre-workout gel on the market. It is like a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling, and it's natural, so it's not going to do a number on your body. It's like drinking those monster drinks that everybody knows and loves that they know they're bad for them, but they still take them anyway but it has a third of the caffeine with better results. Comes in three great flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, chocolate, mint. And how Built Go works is it combines energy gel with a collagen protein. Collagen protein is a fast absorbent that gets into your system fast, and it's easy on your body, especially your stomach. And it's loaded with good stuff to ignite your workout, like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a touch of caffeine. So collagen promotes joint and soft tissue, good hair growth, good skin growth. It literally makes you feel and look better. So visit builtgo.com, use the promo code LOCKED, and you get 20% off of your next order. 
Once again, that promo code is locked and 20% comes 20% comes off of your first order at builtgo.com. Let's go. Now, let's go to our Wah Week and finish our discussion on Patrick Wah talking about his coaching, especially with the Colorado Avalanche. Coached before the Avalanche. And I, I he was one of those guys that you always thought would kind of end up coaching somewhere. He just had that style about him and his directness and you know like his no nonsense demeanor would that was perfect for coaching. And he did, but he unlike some guys now especially in the NBA where guys will retire and the next year be hired as a head coach of a professional basketball team, and they have had no coaching experience at any level. Okay, fine. If, if you want a figurehead, uh, go for it. And Patrick Rupp probably could have been that guy and gone down that road, but he decided not to. He decided to put himself through the paces and really fine-tune his craft as a coach. And uh, he did that in the QMJHL, where he also, I think, is part owner of the team, um, the Quebec Ramparts. And he coached them, and he, he you know, has done very well there. And in 2010, the Avalanche came calling and said, we have an opening. You know, we'd like you to be the coach. This was before Joe Sackick was GM. And he turned them down. And it's never really come out that I know of like a definitive reason why he turned them down. Uh, but I, I want to believe that he felt like he wasn't ready for that position yet. He still was really learning how to coach. Um, and maybe some of it was maybe he didn't like where the avalanche were standing at that point in time. Whatever the reason, he said no. And they ended up giving the job to uh, Joe Sacco, who did admirably in his in his very first season, but then had three seasons where they missed the playoffs. So he was fired. Joe Sackick was brought in, and that's when they revisited bringing Patrick Wah in. Maybe it was the Joe Sackick factor, but this time he said yes and signed on. And I think a lot of people thought, this was like a match made in heaven. Patrick Waugh is, a, you know, one of the greatest avalanche players to ever wear the uniform. It just made sense. Um, and it, everything was sunshine and rainbows in that first season. He turned them around uh, and made them a playoff team in, in year one, they missed the playoffs. I think there were a seventh they were seventh in the division the year before, in the last year under Sacco. And he came in in 2013, 2014, and proceeded to go 52, 22, and eight for 112 points, first in the division. However, that ended in that game seven overtime against Minnesota. Heartbreaker, which I still have not gotten over. Um, and then it was. It, it, well, let's, I mean, let's stay into that season because I remember when they hired him, people were asking me like, oh, you must love that. And I was honestly, I, I was thinking like, yeah, it's great to have Patrick Waugh fan favorite behind the bench. I was really concerned about 
uh, how he would like, would he try to make the game about him? Would he be try to be a sideshow and not be a coach? And that very first game, if everybody remembers that, I remember it like it was yesterday playing the Ducks and they handed him a, a big defeat. Uh, the Avalanche won their first six games of that season. I think they were the last team in the league to lose a game. So they were off to a, a rip-roaring start. But that very first game when you know somebody hit – I can't remember who it was. It might have been Duchesne. It might have been Matt Duchesne. They hit late. And he did not like that. And he started having words with Bruce Boudreau, the head coach of Anaheim, and then pushed the partition that separates the two benches. That kind of went tumbling over. And in my mind, I'm like, here we go. Like, I, that's good. But this is game one. And are we in for a long season with this type of attitude, which to me would wear thin pretty quick? I don't like those coaches that are so demonstrative day in and day out. And because I just feel like with players that wears thin, players want to focus on the ice, not have to worry about if their coach is going to go off the rails. But to his credit, he was a saint after that, which is, you know, great for the the nickname that he has with St. Patrick. He he didn't make a sound other than that whistling that he did all the time behind the bench, which could pierce your ears. You could hear when you're watching it on television, you could hear it. Um, he he was the consummate pro coach. And he won the Jack Adams that year. And his first year coaching uh could not have gone better, other than, you know, obviously winning a cup, but uh, again, when he got hired, people were like, this is going to be amazing. His first year comes, he rescues them from a seventh, uh, seventh place performance the year before to overwhelmingly, uh, an incredible turnaround to win coach of the year, number one in the division. And we're off to the races. And then it kind of, I mean, it did, it started to go downhill after that, but you know, the, the following year, it's not like you had a bad year. They went 39, 31 and 12. They finished with 90 points, which just had them miss the playoffs, believe it or not. They finished seventh in the division that year. Um, and they were not that far out from a, a, um, a wild card, <laughs> but they, you know, 90 points wasn't enough. Compare that to the very next year when they went 39, 39, and four for 82 points, but they were one spot higher in the division. So eight points less, but one spot higher. Go figure. Uh, regardless, I think they were very happy with his performance. I don't think he was, you know, in danger of losing his job, but he had some issues and uh, his issues were he didn't feel like he was getting enough say in uh, player uh, personnel calls. What I think what he fell in on behind closed doors, uh, he was not getting enough say maybe in, in free agency signings or in, uh, you know, draft um, decisions. He didn't feel like he was being made, privy to all of those decisions. And he said he thought about it and he thought about it. And then he finally called Joe, called Joe Sackick and said, I don't like where this is going. Uh, 
And I was told I was going to have more say. And I think he was. He was he was also vice president. He was head coach and vice president. And in the beginning, a lot of people thought Joe Sackick was hired to have a title of president and more of a figurehead. And as Joe Sackick got more comfortable in his role and started hiring people in positions of, of trust, uh, I think Joe Sackick started taking more of a active role in the decision-making and not that he was leaving Patrick Waugh out. Uh, but I think Patrick Waugh felt he should have more of a say in the final decision. And in the end, he wasn't going to have that. That was always going to be Joe Sackick. And um, I think that was why he called him up and said, it's not going the way I want it to go. And he did it late in the offseason. He did it about a month before the season started, which left the avalanche high and dry. They had to scurry to find a coach. And that's you know how we ended up with Jared Bednar and did what he could in that first season, but it was just an absolute disaster. So uh, he's obviously turned that around, and this is his team now. And you know people know that he's a excellent coach. But um, Patrick Waugh kind of left the, the Avalanche kind of floating in the wind for a little while because it was so late in the offseason. I don't think it's very odd for him to say that he wanted decisions. And if it was not for Patrick Waugh, Nathan McKinnon would not be on the avalanche. Seth Jones probably would be. So, and again, that was very, you know, that was in his first season. So maybe as time went on, and like I said, Joe Sackett got more comfortable in his role. That's when Waugh started feeling his say was diminishing. Um, but in the beginning, yeah, I mean, he really pushed for Nathan McKinnon, and they listened to him. And maybe he thought, you listened to me back then. Why are you not listening to me now? Uh, for But for whatever reason, I guess they are still friends. It was no, like, hard feelings. And um, he moved on, and he has not been in the NHL since. And it'll be interesting to see if he ever does want to come back. I think he's kind of comfortable. He went back to the QMJHL, back to the Ramparts. Um and and he seems to be happy, you know, and, and he's coaching that team and he live in the quiet life, kind of <laughs> as quiet as you can. So um, we will take one more quick little break and then kind of uh, get into one thing that while his time was short in Colorado, Patrick Waugh was these maybe spearheaded a movement in coaching that has become the norm today. And uh, we will talk about that right, we talk, right after we talk about Built Bar. Talked about Built Go. Now it's time for Built Bar. You know Built Bar. You love it. It's the best tasting energy and protein bar on the market. Tastes more like a candy bar than it does a protein bar. And the new year is coming. Resolutions are coming. And getting into shape and getting healthier and eating healthier is always the one that's number one on everybody's list. Start it with built bar. They are soft. They're easy to chew. They're not gritty and chalky and disgusting. Like some other energy and protein bars. They're fantastic tasting. Like I said, covered in hundred percent chocolate. They are great for the health conscious guy or girl lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. So you can have these 
as well as Built Go. Have Built Go to get through the rest of your day. Have Built Bar as a snack midway through the day as well. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Great for the keto diet. Most bars have 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. Come in 18 amazing flavors such as caramel brownie, cookies and cream, coconut almond, mint brownie, double chocolate, toffee almond, probably my favorite, the banana bread. So definitely go to builtbar.com right now. Use the promo code locked on. You get 20% off of your next order. Once again, use the promo code locked on and 20% comes off of your order at builtbar.com. All right. So on the ice, um, you know, Patrick was known for not being the founder of the, the um, blah, 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 of the butterfly technique, but he is the one that perfected it. And almost every goalie you see now uses that style where you legs just go flat on the ice and the way the pads are now you kind of shut out that five hole and um it, it's just the way that it's it's the norm and he made it the norm and you know like i said he wasn't the first one to do it but he was the first one to perfect it and now and you know he he coached five years ago let's see his last year was 15 16 so yeah so he started, uh, you know, we, we've always, everybody's always pulled the goalie and the goalie has always come out of the game, maybe with like a minute left, 45 seconds left. Patrick Waugh was the, really the first one to start pulling the goalie with two minutes plus, uh, sometimes three minutes left in the game and he would pull a goalie. I will never forget watching these games because the more he did it, the more people noticed it and it was working. They had more opportunity with an extra man advantage. And sometimes it didn't work, but a lot of times it did. And it was, it was like, you got so excited, believe it or not, when the avalanche were losing and there's five minutes left and the announcers are going, when's it going to happen at five minutes? They're saying, when's it going to happen? When is Wa going to pull that goalie? And he would normally do it with two and a half minutes, 2.45. I think one time he did do it with over three minutes to go. And it's just, I mean, people in the stands are like, what is going on here? And then when it would work, when they would score, it was bedlam. Uh, and that year, coaches started doing it. It wasn't like, well, let's take the offseason to see, let's you know, crunch some numbers. It, it was on the ice. It was working. And in in the postseason, you know, coaches were doing it. Uh, I think even the, the Ducks did it. And it turned out to to work for them in the postseason. And, and they won a series, I think, because of it. So he spearheaded that movement of pulling a goalie insanely early. And now it's kind of the norm and it didn't start that long ago and it started with Patrick Wah. So it, it's, it's, you know, he, he's left his mark on the ice with his style of goaltending and he's left his mark in his three years uh, behind the bench and when teams pull their goalie. So uh, a really good uh, comment from Rebecca over on Twitter that she, she put up uh, on my Twitter feed and, 
uh, her thoughts about Patrick Watt. She says, there are so many incredible players past and present in the NHL, but Watt has always been my favorite. He was a true competitor who left everything on the ice, and he was flashy, which always made things interesting for better or worse. He will, uh, We will always love Brick Wah. And she said, and also he was a big reason why the Avs won two Stanley Cups and were so competitive for so long. His fights against Red Wing goalies are iconic. Will we ever have a goalie who fights the rival team as much as Wah? Probably not. Um, that doesn't really happen too much anymore, but Patrick Wah did things differently. And yeah, and he was flashy. And that's a position where uh, if you have someone that's flashy and commands attention, people tune in for that. And people tuned in for Patrick Wah, you know, and, and, and I don't think we'll ever have another one like him. Uh, Definitely on the avalanche, maybe in, in the entire league, you know, they don't, they don't make them like him anymore. So hope you guys uh, enjoyed this look back for Wah week. And uh, maybe this is something we'll do every year. I don't know, but being 25 years ago when they acquired him, it just felt like it was something that we had to go, had to do and, and look back. So it's always fun to do. Um, and, and I hope it was enjoyable for everybody listening. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Lockdownavalanche at gmail.com. And like I said, follow me on Twitter, LOPN underscore Avalanche, or on Instagram, Avalanche. Share your Patrick Waugh memories because I know everybody's got them. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, he's definitely one of my wife's favorites. She was upset when he left the bench um she doesn't have many avalanche jerseys but she has a patrick watt jersey so that shows you the boundaries he crosses when my wife who only really likes the avalanche because i do wants a jersey because he's flashy so that will be it everybody hope you enjoyed the week and uh have a safe weekend ahead And we'll see you on Monday. Maybe we'll get some news of solidifying a season for next year over the weekend. If we do, we'll be talking about that on Monday. Definitely tune into Locked on NHL as well, as they will have all the latest and greatest from news around the league. And definitely check it out on Thursday when Adam and I host. And uh, that's going to be it. All right, everybody. We will see. Go, Abs, go.